This is Rio. My name is Joanna. I'm from Laurel, Mississippi. And I have a concern. It's kind of been rare that I've disagreed with you, but I listened to the podcast episode from last week about the Asbury, quote, revival, unquote. And I wondered if you had heard the report out of a student who has attended the revival at Asbury of the homosexuals leading the worship service. You challenged us in the second episode um, last week to really, I can't remember the word you used, but to dig into what this is about. So I would ask you to do the same. I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all. I'm just concerned because you're always such a beacon of truth. And this has concerned me. Thank you very much. Well, Joanna, that's a great challenge for me. So we're going to address that in just a second. I want to thank you for your for your call and your inquiry about that. Uh, this is Sandy Rios, and you're listening to Sandy Rios 24-7. This is the, the prequel, I guess, to the next episode. And uh, Joanna was able to leave that comment because she called 662-821-2040. If you have questions or comments or criticisms, things that you do not like, uh, you can call us and, and express yourself. Only be nice. Well, no, don't be nice because your host tells you not to be nice. <laughs> Speak the truth without being too, uh, you know, keep it clean. 662-821-2040, or you can go to sandy at AFR.net. All right, Joanna, this seems to all be coming from a student who calls himself Elijah, and he basically says, Day 8 and my seminary friends are still leading worship. Did you know that people of color, women, and queer students have been leading worship all eight days? Both student bodies have lended themselves Uh, I think it seems he's not saying this right, have been leading us towards the throne of God, and then a heart. Uh, And then there's a pastor, Justin Peters, who's concerned about this too. Uh, He says, this is not a sign of genuine revival. That is as far from my only concern. Note that queer students have been leading worship all eight days. Revivals are not led by homosexuals. True revival would see them repent. All right, well, a couple of things. First of all, just general things. First of all, you know that anytime there's a great move of God, there's always criticism. In fact, anytime there's a great work of any kind, there's always someone who comes in to say, yeah, but how about this and how about that? And I, I'm a critic too. I, sometimes I'm guilty of that. That's kind of human nature, but sometimes it's supernatural. So I'm suspicious of anything that I hear right now that um, tries to discredit what's happening or what did happen at Asbury, depending on where we are in time and space. First of all, we don't know the hearts of the people on that stage. Maybe they are open, openly homosexual. I would not pers- put people of color on the same list with uh, the list that he gave. That's one of the problems. People of color, that's not an issue of uh, morality. It has nothing to do with you know, God transforms and changes and revives, revives all of us regardless of color and regardless of gender. So that's kind of a non-issue. Uh, but, uh, yeah, queer people leading worship, that's, that's problematic. I don't know if people know in, in that congregation know that they're queer. And I would take issue. I think a true revival and renewal could be taking place among lots of students, and there could be hypocrites, or worse, in their presence doing things. I think it's possible. I also think it's possible that a person that's a practicing homosexual might be leading worship and uh, be sort of confused. Um, I just don't think we have a way of knowing And I don't think you can make a blanket statement that this has no value because of that. I just really don't. Um, Well, look, the 12 disciples had a a demon, and that was Judas. 
He betrayed. He was Satan himself. He betrayed Jesus. So does that mean the disciples were not godly men or that Jesus' work was uh, you not not valuable because there was a demon among them? I don't I don't think so. So I think we have to be careful, and that would be my response to that. But I appreciate the challenge because it made me think about that too. Well, all right, it's Sandy Rios twenty four seven, and uh, you can call us as I said, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, YouTube, or Rumble, and you can listen at any of the podcast platforms. And also, then, last but not least, before we begin this really interesting. Uh, uh, time that we're going to spend with Tom Phillips on what's happening further at Asbury and the broader implications of that for the nation and for other countries that have experienced this. Uh, Preborn has been our sponsor, for which we are very grateful. And together we have saved, in a little bit more than a month, about 300 babies. And I think that's wonderful myself, and I want to thank you for that. If you go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy, you can provide an ultrasound for one woman who's confused about whether to keep her baby or not, and over half of them decide to keep their babies. When they see that wonderful picture, that really vivid image of their child, their little boy, their little girl, $28 buys one ultrasound and $140 can rescue five babies from a mom who is just considering terminating their lives. So if you'd like to help, please do. It's preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy. Well, in the in the in past episodes, you've heard me mention that there were two great awakenings or revivals or renewals in this country, one before the Revolutionary War and one before the Civil War. And that's going to be the topic of our discussion today. I think you're going to love this. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. So we keep hearing about this. There haven't been many news stories on it, but it's all over social media, on TikTok, actually, of all places. And reports that people are flying in from Singapore and New Zealand to join whatever this is. And so we thought it'd be worth finding out. What is it? Allison Perfader is the student body president at Asbury University, and she joins us. Allison, you're so nice to come on. Thank you. What it, What is this, do you think? Right, what is this? That's what we can... I mean, that's the question, right? And um, a, a theme or a Bible verse that we've all been sharing with each other is Habakkuk 1. And the Lord says, look at the nations and watch for I'm doing something in your day that you wouldn't believe if you were told. And it's happening and we can hardly believe it. Well, it seems remarkable. I mean, so many stories, you see them and you think that's very different. I'm not quite sure what it means, but it's worth learning more. So my understanding is this began in a completely conventional service and a boy got up and started talking about his own flaws and then it just something changed in the atmosphere and it never ended is that fair 
That's completely what happened. Um, so here at Asbury University, three mornings a week, we have chapel at 10 a.m. sharp. The whole student body gets together and we, we sing praise to the Lord and we hear a message from a speaker. And for seemingly no reason at first, on, on Wednesday, February 8th, it didn't end. And that's, that's kind of the logistical side of what's been going on. And then, you know, on the, on the deeper side of things, what's been happening here since Wednesday is there's a, there's a young army of believers who are rising to claim Christianity the faith as their own, as a young generation and as a free generation. And that's why people can't get enough. All right, Sandy Rios with you. And by now, of course, almost all of you that listen to this podcast have probably heard what's going on at Asbury as of this taping. I think it's still continuing. Uh, But this will be a timeless discussion because this is a move of God that will have impact for years to come. While this was kind of just breaking loose, I had the privilege of having dinner with our next guest and him and his wife at a recent conference, uh, and they are deeply, uh, at the time, were and still are deeply involved with Asbury and knew a lot about it. And further, uh, my guest, Dr. Tom Phillips, is an expert on revival in this country. Uh, he's an expert on the great awakenings that took place in this country, and so I was eager to invite him to be our guest, and he joins us today. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Sandy. Thank you. It's, it's just such a pleasure to have you. Now, let me uh, let me give you a really, uh, your bio is so long, but I'm going to hit the high points because I, I love it. And in fact, I'm going to use your words here. Tom Phillips follows Jesus as Senior Advisor of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in Charlotte, North Carolina. At the Billy Graham Association, Tom leads in sharing the Lord's vision with the next generation to spread the gospel by every effective means and to equip others to do the same. Um, so with that, Tom has led, he's been in charge of the various meetings around the globe for Dr. Billy Graham for many years uh, and still works very closely, still on staff, of course, at the Billy Graham Association. He's written several books on revival and awakenings. His most recent is Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. So, um, Tom, I just have to ask you personally, because there's always a story. That's how God works in all of our lives. What in the world caused you to be so interested in spiritual revival? Sandy, that's a very good question. Um, I came to Christ at eight years old in a an evangelistic service, not too far from AFA's headquarters in northern Mississippi. And the evangelist said, how many want to live your life loving Jesus as he loves you? And I started out in love. And as a kid, I responded, nobody thought I was old enough to understand what I was doing, but God led me, and I ended up uh, in pre-med becoming a surgeon, I thought, because I could share my faith. One day, God spoke to me in prayer and said, Tom, what's more important, helping a man or woman have quality of life for 70 years or helping a man or woman have life eternal? Certainly, we love our doctors, but God had called me into an eternal ministry, I did not knowingly disobey my earthly father. How could I disobey my heavenly father? Played about seminary, ended up in uh, the Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, Southern. I did not even think that I fit in with the other guys. I'm not that pastoral, frankly. And um, then this wonderful man, first um, evangelism professor of Europe, Dr. Louis Drummond, came from Spurgeon's College, and he set up these courses, Revival 101, 102, 201, 202, 301, 302. And I thought, with my lack of knowledge, 
But he was going to be telling me how to do what Billy Graham did. Uh, we call Southern Evangelistic Campaigns revivals. So I began to go, and I realized that there was something I didn't know, that God could move on a society, a city, a nation, a people, a province, a state, um, and he could literally fall, on, as he has at Asbury, on these young people and visit them. In the history of religion, no phenomenon is more apparent than the recurrence of revivals. And I began to see that. So in the third course, literally God spoke to me and said, I made you for this. So God drove me into the life of studying, praying for, and working for revivals. Even in the 90s, I had these lectures, and Mr. Graham let me give them before Crusades. It was called Prescription for a Slumbering Church. Because the word revival simply means to renew or restore. The best illustration in the New Testament is the prodigal son, away from his father, wasted his money, famine in the land, comes home, father grabs this disheveled, emaciated, filthy figure, stinky figure, and says, for this my son was dead, is alive again, was lost, and is found. And that's what God means about the church the church has turned its back on God in some ways. It's comatose sometimes. So revival is, I once was asleep, now I'm alive. I once was dead, now I'm renewed. I once was comatose, now I'm back. So it's a return to normal Christianity. It's evidence of vital religion. And so God drugged me into this. You know, it's interesting to hear your story, Tom, if I had... Uh, I think I've already shared this with my listeners, but I'll just mention that I was I came to Christ the same time in my life. I mean, I was almost nine, and God started calling me, and my mother thought I was too young. And I didn't even have the words to explain to her what was happening, and I, I fought. I really fought it. Uh, but I finally surrendered, and God just really came down. And it's I've just felt his hand, like, in a powerful way since I was just a girl— and in Dr. Graham's messages, really, I think, are the quintessential molding of my own future in terms of merging what was happening in the world with the gospel, because that's what he did. I hadn't heard my pastor ever do that, and that was that impressed me so much. I loved listening, even when I was a little girl, and that's what, when I started radio, that's what drove me, to do a radio show for everybody, not just Christian radio. Uh, and talk about what's happening in the world, and then weave in Jesus. And that's really what I've done, and that's because I learned that from Dr. Graham. So uh, I want to ask you, you talked about this, but let's let's talk about it more deeply. There are terms like revival, and I grew up in the South, uh, Southern tradition, Southern Baptist, so revival was a very familiar word to me. We had revivals in our church. Uh, but awakening is another term used for it in our country. And then before that, do you not think that the Great Reformation uh, that started with Martin Luther was uh, uh, an awakening slash revival situation also, but it was among Catholics? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If the Catholic Church, the Universal Catholic Church, had responded to Martin Luther's theological concerns we would be a unified church around the world today in many ways, so surely. Uh, but because those Protestant ideas that he had uh, were not received, the whole uh, germination of a renewed church began. And, of course, 
in the Catholic Church, we've seen the renewal as well, especially the charismatic renewal in the last hundred years. Yes, and I think I'm just because we are talking to people who don't have familiarity, some of them don't, that Reformation in Europe, uh, to, you know, bled into to all of the European nations in England and Scotland. Uh, my son just graduated from St. Andrews, and there are three places in St. Andrews uh, where there are stones that are um, uh, commemorations of people that were martyred on those places because the Reformation just lit Europe on fire for the gospel of Jesus right. Christ. It changed and it was the would I, I guess I'm guessing this in this very moment, but I'm guessing that that was the spark that united Western civilization. Was it, or does it go back further than that? Do you think? I, I would think that is the spark because out of that came tremendous movements, and that's what Mr. Graham prayed for. We have actually have him on video in 1949, and we captured him again when he was 93. I think 2012. And he said the same thing. He said, I'm praying for an old-fashioned Holy Spirit revival that will sweep America from coast to coast. And in his latter years, when he couldn't minister, he could pray. And in prayer ministry, he said, I'm praying the same prayer. So we literally today stand on not only Billy Graham's shoulders, but many, many, many who've gone before us. One great minister years ago, Dr. A.T. Pearson, said, there has never been a spiritual awakening in a country or locality that did not begin in united, and if I may add, united, persistent, persevering, concerted prayer. Prayer opens the windows of heaven on a nation, even in its darkest hour. And, of course, revival comes usually when a nation culturally is at its darkest because light shines up best right before the dawn. When the sky is totally black on a moonless night, that's when light is best seen. And so God is calling us today, like those students at Asbury or now Baylor and now 20 other universities, he's calling those students, and he promises us this in the Bible. He says in two places that in the last days I will pour out my Holy Spirit, and it will be your young people who become the proclaimers, it will be your young people who become the visionaries of how to help others know that God loves them and has an eternal life for them from creation. He made them to be known by him. Then it says the older men and women, hence my term spiritual advisor in my latter years at BGEA, will be the ones who encourage, train, mentor, resource, support, and also exhort, if necessary, the younger group who are the best today in social media. No one, as you may have heard, 36 million, and it's growing, 36 million views on TikTok on the word revival since Asbury started. And I'm sure it's much bigger than that today. Wow. I No, I did not hear that. I did not hear that. I, I think, um, boy, there's so much to say. And so I, um, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to stay in history for a second, uh, sure. because of course uh, in the in the Reformation uh, with Martin Luther, the thing that was you know the the social media of the day was the translation of the Bible into the people's language, and that spread like wow. fire. So uh, and that caused a huge ripple. And then in England, the King James version when it was translated into English. But but let's 
because we are, you know, Americans are always so America-focused, and maybe forgive us, Lord, for that, but I want to come back to our country uh, because there were two great awakenings. I find this so interesting, Tom. I know you know all about this. I know something about it. Uh, but there were two, uh, you know, how would we know that, that that America was a dark place before the revolution or that America was a dark place before the Civil War? Can you kind of w- tell us what happened during that first Great Awakening? I think of George Whitfield preaching and Ben Franklin, <laughs> you know, counting, actually pacing out to find, to calculate the number of people preaching. I mean, listening to George, George Whitfield speaking because he did not believe the reports that George Whitfield's voice was so loud uh, that hundreds and thousands of people came to listen and they could all hear him, which is kind of an amusing story, but it's told by Ben in his autobiography. But tell us about that first revival and what were the origins of it, what led up to it, and what happened? In the early part of our nation, the Great Awakening stirred the colonies, and it goes all the way back to 1734, and it marked the birth of really one of the most notable movements of God in our country, and the key word there was indifference. The nation was young. The frontier was barely over uh, the Alleghenies and the Kentucky arena. It was a small country. And everybody was so caught up in survival, really, and a growing society that they became different. And what was happening with the preachers, and some of that's happening today, rather than proclaiming salvation through conviction, confession, repentance, receiving Christ, and then the sanctification that comes as you grow in the Lord, they were finding people resistant to truth about spiritual life and therefore indifferent. So this great man of God, Jonathan Edwards, when he was a child, he was so precocious that he would literally read in the library of his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, the great theological books when he was just a child. And he became one of the greatest preachers and theologians in the history of America, but gone was the God-fearing generation. There was a new generation then, indifferent, and it was truly full of immorality, debauchery, self-rule, self-interest, church roles were shriveling. And so the pastors decided to start what they called the halfway covenant. In those days, for those who are Christians, understand this, you could not take communion if you weren't a person who followed Christ as Lord and Savior. But they said, we're losing people in the church. We're going to compromise. They called it the halfway covenant. You could could actually live a a life that was full of sin, and yet you could now come to the Lord's table and partake of communion with God himself. And that was scandalous, really. And soon the halfway members outstripped those who were the real believers in the church, and that remnant caused... uh, Christianity to begun to be snuffed out through the indifference. And along comes this young guy that's grown up in that church, Northampton, Massachusetts. His name was Jonathan Edwards, and he wanted to bring a, quote, he said, a new sense of things. He was at peace as he began his life in submission to God, even though his grandfather was Solomon Stoddard, who allowed the, quote, unregenerate to come to the Lord's table. So in 1734, this young preacher began to preach a series of sermons like Martin Luther on justification or salvation or coming to know God and receiving his life abundant and eternal by faith alone. And people really reacted to it. However, 
because things were becoming cool, spiritually, people received that truth in their hearts, and eventually he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I'm going to quote what he said. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe and burn it asunder. And you have nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep the flames of wrath off of you, nothing of your own, nothing that you ever have done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. And in the church at that moment, people were grasping the pillars of the church to keep them sliding into what they considered eternal hell. Then he turned and began to tell them how much God loved them. He told them that God was a God of mercy, and he preached beautifully. He was called the spark of the revival. Coming from England was a great orator. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He was the flame that lit America seven times. He came to this country, and he said every word that he enunciated, Benjamin Franklin said, could be heard a mile away, which is phenomenal. He could project his voice. And he said, the Christian world is in a dead sleep. Nothing but a loud voice can awaken them out of it. And in his oratory, he painted the pictures of heaven and of hell and of God's love. And this man began his journeys to America from 1738 to 1770. And he wasn't ostentatious. He preached anywhere, meeting houses, barns, fields from the backs of wagons, and everywhere he went, it was the same result. People were convicted of their sins and driven to the foot of the cross, and they didn't even give an invitation like they do in churches today. They just received Christ, and their lives changed. Many, many other ministers took up that torch and began to carry it all over what was then the Northeast. And out of that came so many changes. The clergy quit being lukewarm. God began to work, and uh, in just a few years, the first Great Awakening was the most potent, constructive force in American life during the mid-century of the 1700s. Fortified the church, destroyed skepticism, stabilized the colonies, gave principles to the foundation of the American government, revitalized the spiritual experience of the average man or woman, and then Jesus, God himself, became personally important to each person. So that great awakening defeated the spiritual indifference and the theological fuzziness. And uh, I think you can go back and see the first great amendment to our Constitution came from that awakening. It struck a blow for religious liberty. Wow. And I, and I think about just, um, well, I think of the Founding Fathers who, you know, if kids only knew now, some of us still remember that most of them were Christians and not just, uh, I mean, theologians and pastors. Uh, George Washington led devotionals, wrote books of prayer, uh, was famous for his character. Even King George, I think, said, you know, his character was one of the wonders of the world. He was heard praying in the woods loudly, and a Tory said, uh, we're going to lose the war. I just heard George. Wa- I just heard George Washington praying, and there's many, many stories. But there's just so much evidence of God's presence, at least in the minds of the people, uh, during the time of the Revolution. And isn't it just like right. God, Tom, to, to 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 let a little nation, fledgling, 
uh, who have turned their lives over to the Almighty God to defeat you know, the greatest power in the world, which was Britain at the time. Isn't it just like God? Well, we know that the miracles that occurred in the Revolution were phenomenal. Whenever Washington's troops could have been destroyed, this cloud or mist came over them as they went across the Delaware, and uh, then they were able to begin to defeat the foes. And after the Revolution, because the Church of the United States was primarily at that time, after 1776, and the loss by England, the Anglican Church which was here in this country, had lost faith. And so that's how the second Great Awakening began, because the first Great Awakening was about indifference. The second Great Awakening was about infidelity. Well, if that doesn't make you want to listen to Part 2 with Dr. Tom Phillips, I don't know what will, because uh, in the next episode he will talk to us about the second Great Awakening, which took place right before the Civil War. And the implications are just incredible. Uh, In fact, you know, not the least of which is the whole issue of slavery. So I think that you'll want to tune in to the next next podcast, part two, with Dr. Tom Phillips. But meanwhile, we're going to take just a little bit of a break, so don't go away. Sandy Rios, 24-7. Sandy Rios, 24-7 is growing, and we want to help you grow, too. If your business or nonprofit is interested in sponsoring Sandy Rios 24-7, you can email us at infoagemedia247 at gmail.com. That's infoagemedia247 at gmail.com. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. I've asked my sweetheart to join us. Bruce, have you ever heard anything like what Dr. Tom Phillips just said? Did you know about the Great Awakenings? Just in passing. I really was pretty ignorant about it until he laid it out. It's a fascinating story, though. I I regret not knowing about it before now. Yeah, I mean, there are so many stories of uh, God's work in the Revolution. He talked about the the fog, you know, when Washington was Mm -hmm. crossing the Delaware. But there's all the stories, too, about George Washington being shot at. Even the Indian chief remarked at how he just, he seemed to survive every attack. He had, in fact, like lots of holes in his hat. Uh, And and it's, I think, in in his breast uh, and the, maybe his in his overcoat. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Coat. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't die. He was like <laughs> because God preserved him. There's no question about it. And um, there are so many stories like that. I think the revolution was just. Um, it's amazing to think that God would prepare a nation to go through a war like that. And it does make you think in many ways that our whole history was really the design of the hand of God. Because through America, of course, uh, America prospered and grew and built, became like no other nation, including Rome, uh, and sent out missionaries all over the world to evangelize, established hospitals, medical care that had uh, a, a spiritual passion to actually care for people, and the teaching of the great physician America has accomplished so much and rebuilt the world after the wars. Uh, we we watched this, didn't we? We were the breadbasket of the world for many, many decades. Well, that's what's so amazing about America and why you you almost have to believe that it was ordained by God to be the way it is because we've had other countries that, and other empires, things like that, and uh, they were great at 
uh, governing people maybe or, or conquering people, but we have not been conquerors. We have been liberators. We have not kept our resources only to ourselves. We've spread them around the world, and in many of the ways you were just speaking about, not just financial resources, but the gospel. Um, how many people have you talked to from other countries, and you ask them, well, where did you hear about the Lord? And they'll say, from an American missionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times when a country is blessed, or just us as people when we're blessed, we get very lazy, and we want to keep what we have. We don't want to share it. And that's, I think, that's our human nature, really. And to watch what America has done, you know, you can, you can bring attention to all the warts of America you want, but you cannot take away our legacy. You cannot deny that America has liberated people around the world, has educated people around the world, and has brought the gospel forward to people all over the world. Yes, and it wasn't by accident. You have this awakening that happened, as he has described it, the First Great Awakening, Jonathan uh, Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and, you know, blazing forth, you know, uh, preaching, people repenting. And that was the preparation for that, for that war. And it last, you know, just the whole notion of Christianity, Thomas Jefferson, actually, uh, what people probably don't know, uh, ordered a Bible study to be taught to the Indian tribes as we were expanding territory. It was a nation. Uh, there, no, Christianity was not the established religion for a reason, because they didn't want a state church. It wasn't because they didn't want Christianity taught. It was because they didn't want the state controlling the church. They knew that the church would be more vibrant and really continue to preach the gospel if they didn't have a state-appointed pope or leader or we all know what it's like now if government controls anything they make the rules and it isn't about what says it says in the bible and that's what they didn't want the absence of christianity or faith in government buildings or in government if that weren't the case they would not have put the 10 commandments behind the seat of the supreme court justices and scripture verses all over the monuments in washington dc so that's proof of what uh what we're talking about here if nothing else is uh, any further thoughts about this, Bruce? Well, I think there's no denying that um, America had God's hand on it from its inception. And I think to, to say otherwise is rewriting history. Um, but you think about how we are as people. We can never get along perfectly. And you're never going to hear unanimity that uh, we believe the same thing exactly and we behave exactly in the same way. And it's easy to find someone who will throw, uh, throw cold water on something. And that's what I think is going on in, in the world today is uh, people love to bring up the negative rather than the positive. And we become uh, what um, Mr. Phillips talked about, uh, indifference. We have incredible indifference now. Um, and it's easy to become indifferent by being a naysayer. You know, just say, you know, I don't want to believe that. I, I don't think that's what happened. And I can just sit back and do whatever I want. I don't have to follow any rules. I don't have to believe anything. And, and that's what I think, uh, if we're going to have a revival now, that's what it's going to have to over, overcome is so much indifference that we have now. Well, and also dying to self, because we are pretty much about ourselves. 
And that's the yes, precursor. You have to die to yourself in order for there to be revival. So even so, Lord, come, you know, do what do you have to do to change this country? Will that have started in uh, Asbury? I don't know, but we're we're all watching to see. Freeborn has decided to come alongside us and sponsor the show. We're very grateful. And what they do in order to save lives is they provide ultrasounds for women who are finding themselves pregnant and they're not sure if they want to keep the baby. An ultrasound reveals, you know, often the sex of the baby. You can see the heartbeat. You can even see its features sometimes. It's just amazing. And when uh, moms see that, over half of them just cannot bring themselves to terminate the pregnancy. And as I said before, this is not like a trick. It's just reality. It's reality. They're seeing their baby for the first time. That's what preborn does, and they've had tremendous success saving so many babies. In fact, 200,000 at least have been saved. And by the way, many of you have all, uh, participated in this already and have saved some lives. We're confident of that. It's $28 for one ultrasound, and that helps one mom who's just confused about the baby inside her and one baby inside of her. And so $28 could save a life. Uh, so if you'd like to help us, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Your gift is tax deductible. And of course, if you can afford more, if you've been really blessed and you're, you're doing well financially, $140 gives five babies a chance at life. And so um, I hope that you'll do that. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I hope that you'll stay tuned to the next episode when we do part two with Dr. Tom Phillips and talk about the, uh, the awakening that happened right before the Civil War. It's great stuff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>